Man, I, I pray that God will bless us this evening. Amen. Um, so if you have some note, you have some notes. They should be on the tables. Hopefully you have found one. If you need one, raise your hand. We'll try to make sure you get one. Got one back here that needs one. I might not have printed enough this week. I'm not, I'm not sure how many I printed up. <clears throat> the, this one is called Kitabo. It's uh, when you go in. So this uh, portion, we're getting close to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's going to pick up in chapter 26 with verse 1. It goes all the way through chapter 29, verse 8. Uh, I probably say this every week, but, <laughs> you know, the Bible's just cool, amen? And uh, this one is uh, particularly interesting, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I enjoyed uh, studying it and getting prepared uh, for tonight. So we're going to read these first three verses and then try to give you some, um, an overview here, and then we'll dive into it. These first three verses in Deuteronomy 26, starting with verse 1, it says, And it shall be when you come into the land which Yahovah your Elohim is giving you, as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the fruits of the soil which you bring from your land that Yahovah your Elohim is giving you, and shall put it in a basket and go to the place where Yahovah your Elohim chooses to make his name dwell there. And you shall come to the one who is a priest in those days and say to him, and I separated this out for you in the text so you can see that this is what everyone was supposed to say. This is the start of it. This is what you're to say to him. I shall declare today to Yahovah your Elohim that I have come to the land which Yahovah swore to our fathers to give us. Let's pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, Yahovah, creator of heaven and earth, I pray that you would cause your word to come to life for us today, that it would be what you said it was, sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the power to pierce our hearts and our thoughts, the intentions of our hearts, down to literally the bone and marrow. God, I pray that as we study it, uh, like James, we would look into your perfect truth, see who we're supposed to be, and that, Lord, we would be able to leave here tonight uh, with full assurance that we are reflecting your glory and bringing praise to your name. And I pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> this is uh, when they come into the land. That's what it's called, uh, Kitabo. It's based on when you go into the land. And this whole section is about what they were to do when they go in. In this section, you're also going to have a lot of blessings and curses that are, that are talked about. But this is um, what I want you to see in these first three verses. Um, it's, it also talks about the tithe. There's a lot of talk in here about tithing and, and the tithe that they were supposed to bring and exactly how they're supposed to do it, and specifically dealing with the first fruits of the land. So who fulfilled first fruits? Now, all right, let's, let's go over ground rules again. So when I ask a question like that, it's okay to respond. So who fulfilled first fruits? All right, so Yeshua fulfilled first fruits, and God is telling His people, now, when you go into the land, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And so you're supposed to take the first of the fruits of the land, by the way, that I'm giving you, <laughs> um, and you are to present that to the Lord. And you're to go to the priest, and then this is exactly what you're supposed to say. Okay, so this is about 
tithing. Can I give you a little caveat here before I dive too far into this? Because uh, I've got a few rabbits in my head and I'm trying to get them to calm down. Um, did you know that tithing is not taught in the New Testament? Not even taught. Uh, Paul, uh, when he's talking to the churches, is telling them uh, you need to take what you promised and set it aside on the first day of the week, and then when I come, I'll collect it. And he's talking about them in their homes. So your Christian, your typical Christian theology will say, well, you see, Paul, they met on, on Sunday, and they took up a tithe on Sunday. You see, we got to teach that because everybody's got to get paid. <laughs> and you got to keep the lights on. Um, because the same doctrine says that the Torah doesn't apply to the church. It's that twisted thing we get into to try to make things work. Uh, what Paul was telling them was that there was a church, the church in Jerusalem was suffering. They were struggling greatly. People were dying. Remember, Stephen was stoned. Okay, People were dying. They were also losing their jobs. They were losing their place in the city. They were losing their place in the synagogues. They, they were really struggling. And so they had made a commitment. These churches had made a commitment for a love offering. So what he was saying was, look, because we're forgetful, <laughs> and Paul was saying, I don't want to look like an idiot, and you don't want to look like an idiot when I get to Jerusalem. So when I'm making the rounds, here's what you need to do. The first day of the week in your home, it's your first day on the job. It was Sunday, and it was there Monday. It was there Monday. So take the first of your earnings and what you have and be sure you're setting some aside each week so that when I come, I can collect what you guys promised you would give. And then I'm going to take it and give it to the church there in Jerusalem that's struggling. What's fascinating is that's going to come up again as we dive into this passage. Um, but tithing in and of itself isn't even really taught in the New Testament. But we all here think that we should tithe, right? Hopefully, or else I'm going to work at Walmart as a greeter. Um, but, uh, and you know, we got a mortgage to pay and, and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, we're just in this together as a family, amen? So here's something else I want you to see. In verse 2 it says, and I highlighted this for you in your text. I said, that you shall take some of the first of all the fruits of the soil. Here's what I want you to understand. This was supposed to be on an honorary system. They were taking the first of the fruits of the harvest, and the idea, what they say is what, what, the, what people would do is that when they had a harvest, uh, and as the first fruits were coming out on the tree or whatever, a lot of times they'd go out and they start, they would put some ribbons around it, and they would designate that as an offering of the first fruits. Uh, and then they would collectively march. They would take all their first fruits when they're going to Jerusalem. When would they be doing that? Passover. When does first fruits happen? During Passover or, or Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? Uh, and they would be there and they would offer this to God. And it became this huge procession with celebrating in each town they went into, with everybody bringing their gifts. Can you imagine? How cool would that be? Like an unorganized parade just gathering steam as you're heading towards Jerusalem with people bringing their baskets, 
decorate it up. Your common folk, kind of like me, would weave a grass basket. Those that had more money would literally decorate the basket up, sometimes with jewels and gold and stuff, because they just wanted to worship their God and praise Him for everything that they had given Him. And can you just imagine the celebration? Man, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to Passover. We're going to unleavened bread. We're going to first. Look what God has given us. Just so cool, right? And so that's what they were doing. And it says, that you, here's where you're going to do this, and you're going to take it to the place, and I've mentioned this before, but it says uh, the, the place that your Elohim, Yahovah, chooses, and he's going to choose this place where he's going to cause his name to dwell. That word there for dwell can literally be translated live. The, the place to stay, dwell, pitch your tent. It's not the word for Sukkot or tabernacle, but it can be translated that way. Um, and then it says, And you shall come to the, to the one who is priest and say to him, You're to recite this to the priest. Now watch this. This is what you were supposed to do every year. We're real good at, you know, writing checks. Maybe we don't even, I don't even write, I don't write checks anymore. Anybody here we still write checks? I don't even write checks anymore. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm doing everything online, you know. I'm so, uh, you know, whatever it is. I can't think straight sometimes, you know, just my dyslexia kicks in and ADHD or whatever all else I've got. And uh, so, I mean, I've even got the money, my tithes that go to the church, they just go automatic because I'd find, I go, what do you mean I forgot? Holy, I, I forgot. And then I'd go, oh man, I owe, the, I owe God a thousand dollars or whatever. I'm like, where am I going to find that thousand? So I'm like, so I don't do that anymore. I'm like, it just goes every week, you know? Um, and, and I don't have to worry about it, right? Am I the only one or am I the only weirdo that, that I'm not calling you a weirdo if you do that. Easy. <laughs> um, but I don't have to worry about it. What if we were required to bring our offerings and you had to recite something correctly. Oops. What if, you know, you're the head of the household and you've got to recite this because you're going before God Almighty? Right? Would you consider that important? So it's not something to be taken lightly, right? It's not something to be taken flippantly. You know, I'm just going to make the bank do it. It'll be taken care of. I won't have to worry about it anymore. No, you had to actually participate. Not only that, but you had to collect it. Most of the people made their own baskets. They would, they would get involved in this. And they would take the offering, and then they had to actually participate in the way this first fruits offering was given. And received. So then it says in the at the bottom there of verse three, it says, And you shall declare, this is what you're gonna say, I shall declare today to Yahovah your Elohim. Now look at that. Who's he talking to? At this point, he's talking to the priest. And he's saying, I'm declaring today to Yahovah your Elohim. He's making a point that the priest is working for God. You following that? 
And he says, that I have come into the land which all of us swore to give to our, to, to our fathers to give us. Um, I just want you to know, once again, I've got your outline for you of this whole section that, once again, I did pull it out of that book. Uh, I want to always make sure I mention that. It's called Walk Deuteronomy. <clears throat> if you don't have that series, you really need to get it. Uh, it is extremely helpful. Let's jump down to the bottom of the page. Deuteronomy 26, verse 5. It says in verse 5, And you shall answer and say before Yahovah your Elohim, and then I've separated again. Now this is what they were supposed to recite, all of this. The first part, they're saying this to the priest. I've come here to declare this to Yahovah your Elohim. I've come into the land that God promised to give to our forefathers. And then this is what they were to recite. My father was a perishing, or some translations say wandering, Aramean. And he went down to Mitzrayim, that's the word for Egypt, and sojourned there with few men. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and numerous. But the Mitzrites, the Egyptians, did evil to us, afflicted us, and imposed hard labor on us, then we cried out to Yahovah, Elohim of our fathers, and, El, and, and Yahovah heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And Yahovah brought us out of Mitzrayim with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great fear and with signs and wonders, and He brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, see... I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Yahovah, have given me. Then you shall place it before Yahovah your Elohim and bow down before Yahovah your Elohim and shall rejoice in all the good which Yahovah your Elohim has given to you and your house and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Now, <clears throat> I want you to know that this reciting here is also included in the Passover meal, the Passover Seder. And here's what I want you to notice. Now, I highlighted mine. You're going to have to take notes, and I think you should highlight a few things. Number one, in verse 5, it says, you shall answer. So there's there, each person, this is on an individual basis, so this is how you are to answer this. Notice here it says, my father was a perishing or wandering Aramean. From here on, you're going to see this in this first person singular. My father. You turn the page, <clears throat> but the Mitzrites or the Egypt, Egyptians did evil to, or I shouldn't say first person, not always first, it did evil to us, afflicted us, and heart put hard labor on us and we cried out to God Yahovah, the Elohim of our fathers, and Yahovah heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression, and Yahovah brought us out of Mitzrayim. Verse 9 And he brought us to this place and has given us this land. Verse 10 And now see, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Yahovah, have given to me. 
This is so that each person will recite every year basically a reconfirmation, watch this, of the covenant. Every year when they bring the first fruits from the land, they're going through this whole thing. Look, this is who God is. We started out with Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. You end up with, and the, the debate is, who is the wandering Aramean? Is it Abraham, Jacob, or Joseph? I'm like, really? Like it matters? Let's just say it's Abraham. I'm going to go with Abraham because God made what? A nation out of Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. This is the same area of, if you will, Armenia, Aramean. Okay, we're going to look at that here in a second. Um, and it's, it's a recitation of their history, very, very condensed. Started off in an Aramean, went down into Egypt, stayed there. They were hard on us. You brought us out with a great and mighty hand. All of that stuff that happened, signs and wonders, all that. And you've brought us to this land and you brought us into the promised land. And this is the fruit from the land that you gave me. You following that? So it's a recitation of this is exactly what happened. <clears throat> and at Mount Sinai was, the, was where the covenant was first given to the people of Israel as a nation, God's inheritance. Then they go through all the stuff in the wilderness and then... In chapter 28, at the very start of it, Moses tells them, now when you go into the land, the day you go into the land, you're to recite this again. <laughs> you're to recommit to this covenant again. It's the same covenant. It wasn't a new one. Kind of have to let that sink in for a second. And then they were to renew this every year when they're bringing this offering, the same covenant. <clears throat> they're just renewing this over and over and over again, making this commitment over and over and over again. Why? Once again, I've said it a million times, because we're thick-headed and forgetful and rebellious. And that's the way they were. And so God is putting everything in place to try to keep them from stumbling because He knows they're going to what? They're going to stumble. They're going to mess up royally. One thing I want you to see here, uh, this next little section in Deuteronomy 26, starting with verse 12, it says, uh, when you have completed the tithing of all the tithe of your incense in the third year, which is the year of tithing, get into that in just a second, um, your Hebrew farmer would basically, through all the different tithes that were laid out for them, would give about one-sixtieth of their produce. Um, it's amazing how... Did you, did you know that they estimate that probably only 10% of Christians actually tithe? And that's a statistical fact. Um, I don't know what it is here because I keep my eyes off of that stuff, but here's what I do know. This is a giving congregation. You guys are incredible. 
Um, we have special love offerings and stuff, and you guys just, you, this place never ceases to amaze me. Um, but um, I just find it fascinating because tithing's not taught in the New Testament, and we're told and been told, you know, that the law doesn't apply to us. And then most Christians, 90% of Christians, don't really tithe. They might give a little bit every now and then, but they definitely don't tithe anywhere near 10%. In, in, anywhere near that. Um, anyways, <clears throat> here's where this gets really fascinating. Do you know, you know what the tithe was for? Keep in mind, they didn't have congregations like we have with a mortgage and a pastor, and yes, I do get a salary. Somebody was asking the other day, I said, yeah, I get a, I get a salary. I, I hung up my carpenter's hammer a long time ago. Um, but you know what the tithe was for? What God wanted them to give the tithe for? To take care of the Levites, because the Levites didn't have an inheritance, so they didn't have land. And all the uh, extra stuff from the sacrifices and everything and certain parts of the tithe and everything was to go to the Levite. And the extras, the Levites were allowed to sell. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, they had to make a living, and they didn't have an inheritance. God is their inheritance. The other portion of the tithe was for the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the needy. That's what it was for. Okay? Now, I want you to see what God has them say and do. So let's go back here in verse 12. It says, When you have completed the tithing of all the tithe of your increase in the third year, which is the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the fatherless, and to the widow. And they have eaten within your gates and have been satisfied. Then you shall say before Yahovah your Elohim, I have put away the set-apart portion, the holy portion. In other words, the first fruits of the tithe that was supposed to go to you, I have set it apart from my house, meaning I didn't use it personally. Following that? And also have given it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the fatherless, and to the widow, according to all your command which you have commanded me. You see the personal connection here? I have not transgressed your commands, nor have I forgotten. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it um, for any unclean use, nor given any of it to the dead. There's a lot of debate out there. What's he talking about there? Um, well, there's a lot of pagan practices out there. And he just said, I'm not even doing it with that. I'm not taking what belongs to you, God, and dealing with it in a pagan way. Okay, I have obeyed your, the voice of Yahovah, my Elohim. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look from your set-apart dwelling place, your holy mountain, from the heavens, and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know what I found in my study on this? And I think God just kind of went, one of those eureka moments. Um, you need to write this down because it's not in your notes. 
So you're going to have to write this down and go study it. You need to go look at Acts chapter 4 and the first part of Acts chapter 5. You remember the story about Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that story? You know what's fascinating about that story? It's directly related to this. Directly related to this. Let me tell you, don't have to turn there, let me tell you what was going on. The church there in Jerusalem was suffering. They needed money. They were coming under great persecution. In Acts in chapter 4, there towards the end, uh, Barnabas, who was a Levite, sold a piece of property and gave it to the church, all of it, to help the needy, and everybody was satisfied. Chapter 5 starts with, but Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property and conspired together and sold it and gave it to the church. They both died for it. If you remember the story, why did they die? Here's what I was told, and I've preached this I don't know how many times. Well, you see, they lied to God. And so what God did was God killed them because they lied, and it struck fear in everybody. That way, everybody really knew that the church really was legitimate. Jesus really was the Messiah. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Here's what's fascinating about that whole story. I had one of those moments, and Sonia was working over there, so I said, oh, I can't wait. Let me me tell you, this is really, really cool. (laughs) Barnabas was a Levite who was supposed to be getting tithes, and Barnabas sold a piece of property that he had. Not going to chase that rabbit, but he sold a piece of property that he had, and he gave every bit of it for what? For the needy, the widows, the fatherless, the orphan, those that were struggling and in need. Ananias and Sapphira have a piece of property, and they sold it, But they kept some of it and told Peter and the church, this is all of it. So they took part of what they declared with their mouths, wholly set apart unto God for the needy, the real tithe. And they said it. This is what they were doing every year. Don't tell me they didn't know what was going on. They recited this every single year at first fruits. They would say it with their own mouth. God now look down from heaven and bless us and bless all of Israel. That's also key. Each individual was to say this and be honest about it on an honor system, basically swear before God in front of the priest, I haven't done anything wrong and all the stuff that I set apart for God, I brought it or I gave it within my town to the widow, the fatherless, the needy, and the sojourner, and they ate it within our gates and were satisfied we took care of them and this is the part i'm bringing here to the levite here and unto god then he closes the prayer with now oh god look i have been honest in all of this bless all of it bless all of us collectively 
Because we're being honest here. And we're doing what you said. And we fulfilled all of it. So Ananias and Sapphira, that's what they said and did wrong. And God goes, look, I'm going to bless my people, but not with that. And I won't put up with it. That's why Peter said, why and how has Satan filled your heart? Did you not own it to start with? Even after you sold it, didn't you own it? Why did you conspire like this? You didn't lie to men. You lied to God. It's directly tied to this. I'm totally convinced. There's nothing in your Bible by accident, folks. Nothing. You get to... uh, So I hope y'all wrote that down. It's Acts chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. You get down to chapter 26, verses 16 through 19. It says, Today, Yahovah your Elohim is commanding you to do these laws and write rulings. Really harsh, aren't they? Well, they're just so hard. He actually commands us to celebrate before Him and have a good time. That's just horrible, isn't it? He commands us, when you come before me and you've taken care of the widows and orphans, because they didn't have Social Security, okay? God was their Social Security. When you take care of everybody, then when you come before me, here's my command. Put a big smile on your face and be happy because of everything I've given you and all the ways I've blessed you. Stop belly aching. Today, Yahovah, your Elohim, is commanding you to do these laws and write rulings, and you shall guard and do them. There it is again. I highlighted it here. You might want to highlight that because, you see, guard and do are two separate things. So when God says you're to keep His commands, that means to guard it. It means to elevate it as authoritative in your life. doesn't necessarily mean do them. I'm not supposed to do any laws that pertain to women. Duh. Right? So there's a lot of laws that we're not supposed to do as individuals. And there's a lot today here in exile in Roy City we can't do because we're not in the land. Amen? But we can guard them. We can guard every one of them and say, no, this is what he said and it's still applicable where we can. Does that make sense? <clears throat> it says, and you shall guard and do them with all your heart and all your being. Does that sound familiar? Who else said something like that quoted right out of Deuteronomy? Yeshua did, right? You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In these two hang all the law and the prophets. You're to love each other, care for the widow and the orphan, the fatherless. There's a goal I have um, here for us. I really don't like it that we have a mortgage. I forget exactly how much it is. It's, it's not astronomical. Our, our mortgage payment is about $1,500, $1,600 bucks a month. It's, it's not much. But how cool would it be if we could just pay that sucker off and then just give all of that money every month into missions work instead of paying a bank? Of course, we actually go through a Christian organization, so the profit money is helping to plant churches. So it's not just going to a privately owned bank. It goes through CEIF, uh, which is an extension uh, fund 
of the North American Baptist Conference, and so whatever profits they do make does go towards planting churches. So that's, that's not a bad thing, amen? But how cool would it be to be able to do that? Uh, verse 17. This is fascinating. You have today caused... This is why I want to tell you that this is a uh, recitation and a recommitment to the covenant. These are covenantal terms that are being used all through this. I want to show you right here at the end of this. Verse 17. You have today caused Yahovah to proclaim to be your Elohim. That sounds a little heavy, doesn't it? By what you're doing, you're, you're enacting a response from God Himself. And what is the response? He's going to proclaim that He is your God. And to walk in His ways and guard His laws and His commands and His right rulings and to obey His voice. And now look at this. This is the flip side. Verse 18, and Yahovah has caused you to proclaim today to be His people, a treasured possession. You might want to circle that, underline it, or highlight it. As He has spoken to you and to guard all His commands. So you have both sides of this covenant making a commitment. The people are saying, we're going to obey and guard your laws and rules. We're going to do them, and we want to be your people. And so God says, then I'm going to proclaim that I am your God, and you're going to proclaim that you are my people. This happens every year. Now look, it says in verse 18, it says that you are a treasured possession as he has spoken to you. This was already prophesied. And that you're to guard all of His commands. Turn the page to page 3. Look at this. It says, So as to set you high above all nations which He has made, for a praise and for a name and for esteem, and for you to be a set-apart people to Yahovah your Elohim, as He has spoken. Folks, we don't have time, but that is massively important. That statement is huge, and there's something in here that I'll guarantee you, because I've read it I don't know how many times, and, I, and it, it wasn't really until going through this book and working on all this stuff and all this stuff about Babel and the Babylonian event and the nations, and then I go, oh, my goodness. You see, we have a tendency to think, pay attention here for a second. We have a tendency to unintelligently think that all the nations in the world just kind of evolved. They didn't. Who made them? Yahovah made them, right? And he even says right here. <clears throat> um, we'll get to it in chapter 32. But right here in verse 19 it says, he's, he's done this to set you high above all nations which He has made. He made the nations. When did He do that? The Tower of Babel event. He separated them, separated their languages, and set their boundaries, and set up these nations. Originally, 70. And He said, and I've set you to be high above all the other nations as a praise. You're to be there for a praise and a name and esteem, and you're to be this set-apart, which means holy, people to Yahovah your Elohim. Look at this. 
as he has spoken. Folks, that is so important. This is why anti-Semitism is demonic. It is Satan's only, it's the only card he's got up his sleeve to try to win this game. The only chance he has to not burn in hell for eternity is to stop God from fulfilling his prophecy. If he can do that, then he can say, well, then you're not all that. You said you were all that, and you said you spoke it and you would make it happen, and I stopped you from making it happen. Why do you think everybody hates the Jew? It's demonic. And God said, I spoke it. I made the nations. I picked you out. Started with one guy so that you would be my inheritance so I could use you to prove to all the world that I am who I say I am. And I'm going to do it at the end in such a way that there will be no debate. If you thought Yeshua coming was a statement of God's glory and majesty, we haven't seen anything yet. And I know that's a big statement. A lot of the world doesn't see Jesus as the, as the Messiah or the Son of God. But I'm telling you, when God brings all of His people back in such a way that we'll forget the exodus with Moses, we won't think about the exodus with Moses with this next one that's coming. It will be global. And all the world will say, as Yahovah lives who brought up His people from the farthest part of the world. That's how we will refer to Him. No longer will we recite something like, you took us down into Egypt and all this stuff happened and then you brought us out with a mighty hand. We're going to be saying, you are the God that brought me out of Roy City, out into the wilderness, and I crossed the sea on dry ground into the promised land. Hallelujah. That's what we're going to be saying. That's what's awaiting us. Are you kidding me? It's huge. Now, I put a note here for you. These statements between Israel and Yahweh are classic Eastern covenantal statements. This is classic in the Middle East for this to be covenantal language. It's a contractual statement agreement. Israel declares that Yahweh, uh, what Yahweh has done, and that they are being obedient to His commands, and Yahweh declares He is their Elohim, and that Israel is His treasured possession and blessed above all other nations. Now, He has told them this. We don't have time. I wish we had time to just chase all these passages. He tells them over and over and over again. Now, you need to remember, you ain't all that. You need to remember, I'm not doing this because you're so special. You're not, I'm not doing this because you were more numerous than everybody else. I'm actually doing this in spite of all that. I'm actually doing this in spite of the fact that you're rebellious. I'm doing this because of my name. That's what he says. But you know what we do? We get so prideful in who we are. All of us do. Well, man, at least I was smart enough to accept Jesus. Bunch of idiots. Well, watch this. Well, at least I was smart enough to know we're supposed to keep Torah. Bunch of idiots. Right? We get so prideful about ourselves, and God knows that we can be very prideful, and pride is what? The same sin as divination, witchcraft, because it's what brought Satan down. It's at the heart of rebellion. So the, because of these statements over and over and over again, 
even Israel gets this puffed up attitude that they, well, hey, they were, and I know I've mentioned this not that long ago, there's a lot of rabbis that say all the other nations were created to serve the Jew in the next world, in the, if you will, the millennial kingdom, when, when Mashiach comes and the Messiah, when he comes and all the Gentiles will serve the Jew. You get this prideful attitude. Um, <laughs> that's why it keeps talking about the mixed multitude and the sojourner. It, it, that's not what God was after, and that's why in the New Testament he says, look, just because you have Jewish blood flowing through you doesn't mean that you're a real Jew or, or that Abraham's really your father. Satan could be your father even if you have Jewish blood in you. That's what Jesus said. That's what Yeshua said. So I want you to see something, though, here about the set-apart people. They are set apart. They are chosen. Why? They're chosen so that God could reveal Himself and His glory through them. So I want you to see some of these references about this. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a set-apart people to Yahweh your Elohim. Yahweh your Elohim has chosen you to be a people for Himself. Look at this. A treasured possession above all the peoples on the face of the earth, or it could be nations. Deuteronomy 14, 2. For you are a set-apart people to Yahovah your Elohim, and Yahovah has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a treasured possession above all peoples who are on the face of the earth. Then you get even into the Psalms. Psalms 135, verse 4. For Yah has chosen Yaakov, or Jacob, for Himself, Yisrael, for His treasured possession. You see it over and over and over again, that we... If we're grafted into Israel, we can say we. Amen? So if we're grafted into Israel, we are His chosen possession. It doesn't matter if you have Hebrew blood in you or not. Doesn't matter. Don't hang your hat on that. Now, <clears throat> chapters, I want you to, you might want to just make this note because I didn't have time to chase it all down because there's something else here that we have to talk about. Um, Chapters 27 and 28, they really lay out the blessings and the curses for either keeping or not keeping the Torah. But you know what? We're so um, task-oriented and cause-and-effect-oriented that we actually think that, okay, if you keep the Torah, then God's going to bless you. If you don't keep the Torah, then God's going to curse you. Thank you. That's wrong. Folks, here's how it works. Let me try to sum it up this way. If you keep the Torah, even as a family, but especially collectively His people Israel, you keep the Torah, then God is in your midst. If you're doing what He said, then He's dwelling in our midst. We have the blessings on this side to have the Holy Spirit, and Yeshua dying on the cross for us, right? All that stuff. So it's a whole separate issue. But if you do these things, then God is dwelling in your midst, and if God is dwelling in your midst then all that which is holy in His treasured possession, He's not going to let anything touch it. But then when you don't do what He said and still call yourself by His name, He's going to be like, you just brought your mud in my house. No, I'm not going to be there. Therefore, if I'm not there and that stuff became unholy or unclean, unholy only means it's no longer set apart. Unclean means it's become common, dirty, unsanctified. Now it's not sanctified. So now I'm not there. Guess what? Now you're on your own. And when you're on your own, this is what's going to happen. And guess what? The reason, another reason why it's going to happen is Satan hates you. You need to get in my economy. Does that help a little bit? 
I hope it does. Um, so that's what's going on in chapters 27 and 28. But I want you to see something that's absolutely fascinating. Because you keep going in, in chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, verses 36 and 37. This one jumped off the page at me and nearly hit me in the face. It says in 36, the Lord, I've got this here in the ESV. I'm messed up. Anyhow, it says, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone and you shall become a whore a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples or nations where the Lord will lead you away. This is part of the curses. He said, if you do these, this is one of the things he says will happen to the people of Israel if they don't follow and do what he said. I want you to notice here that this is a prophecy. But here's something fascinating. It says, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you. He's told them, you can't. Here he's saying, this is going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. When you don't follow me, the Lord's going to bring you and the king that you set over you, and it's exactly what happened. And he's going to bring you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. Do you remember what we recited? At the, uh, if you go back to page one, go back to page one. Down at the bottom of the page, this is, uh, should be verse 5. My father was a perishing or wandering Aramean. Bammer, do you see those uh, maps? In There's three. I need the one that says uh, Aramean or Armenian map. Okay. Assyrian, that's fine. This is the, the Armenians. It's basically, this is Assyria. So, <clears throat> I, I tell you what, go back. Go back to the first one I put in there. Here we go. So, this is Ur of the Chaldees, where Abram came from. He goes up to Haran, where his father dies. He ends up coming down here into the Jerusalem area in Shechem, Bethel. This area over here is Armenia, basically. The Arameans. You following me? This area, like right up here. Pull up that next map that I've got. Okay. This is a modern map. So that you understand what we're talking about, there, the gold one over here, that's Israel. The dark green right there is Jordan. The Blue up there is Lebanon. The brown is Syria. Assyrians, Syria. You got Iraq and Iran. This circle that I put on here, and it's, it's a little bit out of whack, but the circle there is that area that you would have called basically Armenia or the Armenians, if you will. They're part of that area, and they become uh, conquered even by the Medes and Persians, guess who the Persians are? The Persians are Iran. And once again, so that you understand and put this in context, this division wasn't there until after World War I. 
These are made-up nations by the League of Nations that becomes the UN. They just made boundaries. And that's why you've got Shiites and Sunnis and everybody. They can't get along because they didn't make these boundaries according to tribal areas. That's why they hate the colonists that came over there and said, here's going to be a nation. And you know this guy, uh, Saudi, will help him coagulate the area and take over the peninsula of Arabia. That's why it's now called Saudi of Arabia. Saudi Arabia. One guy, one family. It goes on and on and on. But what I want you to see here is that's the area and how it's connected. Now, if you go back the, the last map, this one. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up, if you'll, if you'll, while that's there, if you go back to page 3, verse 36 says, The Lord is going to bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. This is the height of the Assyrian Empire. The northern tribes of Israel up here was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. They never went back. You know, the ten lost tribes? This is Assyria that conquered them, and they never went back. You, you following me? from this area. But look at what God prophesied. It kind of doesn't add up unless you've done some other digging. The Lord, Yahovah Himself, is going to make sure that you and your king, that you're going to set over you, and He's going to make sure that there's a nation set over you that neither you nor your fathers have known. Now let me ask you a question. If... This is where Abraham is from. And they've traveled all over here. You end up with Joseph, Jacob, Israel. Uh, they end up down in Egypt. And then God brings them back out. And He says, listen, you're going to now... They, they ended up out here. And they come over. This is where they're going to enter the promised land is right about, in, right about in here. At Shechem, where it all started with Abraham. Fascinating. And you have the two mountains uh, with the blessings and the curses. They're going to come in right about here. And God says, listen, when you do this, and you're going to set a king over you. And when that happens, and you do all these things, I'm going to make sure that a nation is set over you that neither you nor your fathers have known. That's not possible if the Assyrian Empire took them and then just assimilated them. Unless you've done some further digging to find out, you know how the Assyrians dealt with these rebellious northern tribes of Israel? And you know why everybody wants this? You know why everybody wants, not only because of the prophecies, it's, this, it's called a land bridge right here. There's a mountain range right here. That's why it always says you have to go up to Jerusalem. 
It's up on the mountains. So there's a mountain range, and then out here you got desert. Nothing out there, nothing. Right here you got a natural land bridge where there's sustenance, and you can make it, and the sea. So there was a highway that went from Egypt up into the Assyrian area and even farther, and it was called the King's Highway. Everybody wants this little bitty strip of land. You know how far it is from here to here? I think it's less than 70 miles. It's, it's uh, matter of fact, I think from uh, when, they, when they carve out the West Bank, and the reason why it's called the West Bank is because Jordan is right here, and they wanted to claim that. And so that's the west side of it. So the far side of that west bank from there to there is 35 miles. It's the distance from Dallas to Fort Worth. Now you wonder why Israel says we're not going to give it up. How are we supposed to defend that? Basically impossible. Okay, so that's that little bit of history. Now watch this. Assyria, everybody's always been fighting over this. This is why Babylon came down to fight and to take Jerusalem because while they were having a war and problems with Egypt. This is why Egypt was always going back and forth and why they wanted this because these people were always fighting each other and they needed a place for their troops and resources to go and they, you had to go through here and it's a small squeezed area so you needed to control this. And so they got tired of fighting these rebellious Jews that just won't get along. I mean, why, why can't you just get along? We're the big boy in the neighborhood. Just be nice. Let us through here. And they were real rebellious and wanted to serve their God and do their own thing and didn't want all these other unclean people come through there. So you know what the Assyrians finally said? Fine. Here's what we'll do. We're going to come down here. We're going to kick your tail. We're going, to, we're going to take everybody that we can take, and we're going to ship you off. That is exactly what they did. When you start digging into these other resources, you find out that they even put them on ships and sent them as far as they could send them, even to other islands. You ever wonder why there's a lot of Native American Indians that have connections to the 10 lost tribes of Israel. I know when I first heard that, I thought, you guys are wacko. That's the weirdest, dumbest thing I ever heard, and yet it's true. Fascinating. And as a matter of fact, not only that, there's a lot of proof that the, the, the ones that were scattered from the 10 northern tribes they went up through this area. Guess what's right up there? Turkey. Can you go back to the map that I've got with the circle on it? Uh, it's the second one. There's Turkey. So there's a lot of proof that what happened in the, up there in Turkey is where those churches are in uh, Revelation. Huh. That's where Paul wanted to go. Why did Paul want to go there? Because that's where the ten lost tribes went. He knew that they went that way and they started calling themselves Gentile because they, like me, came from Scotland, ended up in Texas, I'm a Texan. Same thing, except it had been a thousand years by that time. So Paul went that, that way. You remember when we went through the book of Revelation and I told you there's going to be a war? And it's going to involve who? Iran. You remember? We talked about that. And the angel was sitting, standing on the Uli River. We said, we know exactly where that is. And it's Iran. And there's going to be this war between him and this area in the north. 
I just learned this uh, last night uh, by watching a news weekly update on what's going on in the Middle East. On Friday, Putin from Russia is having a little summit with Russia, Iran, and Turkey to deal with the situation, watch this, where Syria, which is where on the northern border of Israel, to install anti-aircraft stuff to buffer United States and Israel and Saudi Arabia because Iran hates Saudi Arabia. She's considered the harlot of the Muslims, if you will, because of all the oil and sold herself out for the money. Sunnite and Shia, and they hate each other. So these three are starting a pact. They will meet on Friday to deal with the issue, and Iran has made it perfectly clear what is it she wants to do? Totally annihilate Israel. What has Erdogan said, the king, if you will, of Turkey said? Eradicate Israel. Solve the problem. It's coming. And coming fast. But what happened was, watch this. God prophesied and said, when you do these things, I'm going to make sure that there's a nation you don't know, neither your fathers are even aware of, and I'm going to send you far, far away, and you're going to serve gods of wood and stone and stubble a long way away from your homeland. Where might that be? I heard something. This is being recorded, by the way. Where do you think that might be? The the ultimate place where a lot of God's people that He could have scattered us, where we might end up? Right here in America. A whole lot of us came from either England or Scotland, Ireland, Europe. Um, It's the area where they went. And some of the far seas that they went could have easily been where? Britain. We go on and on and on about all that stuff. I know, when I first read it, I thought, these guys are wacko. There is no way. That's the weirdest thing I ever heard. And the more I've studied it, the more I've looked at it, I was like, holy cow, this is is real. Wow. Um, And so why is it that God is wakening us up that keeping His Torah and following His ways is legitimate? Going against all odds of what the church says. According to a lot out there, I'm a heretic. Just trying to teach what the Word of God actually says. I think it's funny at this point. <laughs> now, here's something so cool, man. Wow. Um, this is uh, found in Malachi. I had to put the whole chapter. It's, uh, it's only, what is it, 18, 19 verses? 18 verses. Now, <clears throat> knowing all of this that we've talked about, and what all God said and what He warned them about. Listen to what it says here in Malachi because it's absolutely fascinating. He goes, let me just read it. It's 18 verses. It won't take but a second. 
See, I am sending my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. That sound familiar? Then suddenly the master you are seeking comes to his hekel, even the messenger, or angel, if you will, even the uh, messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. See, he is coming, said Yahovah of hosts. And who is able to bear the day of his coming? This is talking about the day of the coming of the Lord. Who is to be able to bear the day of His coming? Who is able to stand when He appears? For He is like a fire of a refiner and like soap from the launderer. And He shall sit as a refiner and a cleanser of silver, and He shall cleanse the sons of Levi hmm. and refine them as gold and silver. And they shall belong to Yahweh, bringing near an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant to Yahovah as in the days of old. As in former years. What's he talking about? He's talking about when they first came into the land, when everybody was still real zealous, and they're really doing kind of what he said, and they're conquering the land, and they're bringing in the offerings. Everything's happening. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. In the beginning, they hadn't forgotten yet and gotten fat and sassy. Verse 5, And I shall draw near to you for right ruling, and I shall be a swift witness against the practicers of witchcraft and against adulterers and against them that swear falsehood and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages and widows and the fatherless and those who turn away a sojourner and do not fear me, says Yahovah of hosts. Does that sound familiar? Familiar with the tithes and what they were supposed to be doing and what God still thinks about it. For I am Yahovah, I shall not change. Hmm. And you, O sons of Jacob, shall not come to an end. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my laws and did not guard them. Turn back to me, and I shall turn back to you, said Yahovah of hosts. But you said, In what shall we turn back? Would a man rob Elohim? Yet you are robbing me. But you said, In what have we robbed you? In the tithe and offering. How many times have I heard this, read this, said this, preached on it, and read it in commentaries? You see, you're robbing God if you ain't tithing. You need to, you know, all right, pass the bucket again. Kid you not. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, if you're going to be preaching about tithing in your church, you need to go to Malachi 3. Boy, that'll get them given. Is it okay if I'm a little sarcastic every now and then, just a little bit? Sorry, it just I have a hard time turning it off. Um, in the tithe, in verse nine, you have cursed me with a curse, for you are robbing me. Oh my gosh, this nation, all of it. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and let there be food in my house. And please prove me in this, says Yahweh of hosts. Whether I do not open for you the windows of heaven and shall pour out for you boundless blessing, and I shall rebuke the devourer for you, so that it does not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor does the vine fail to bear fruit in your field, says Yahweh of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed. <coughs> for you shall be a land of delight, says Yahweh of hosts. Your words have been harsh against me, said Yahweh. But you said, what have we spoken against you? You said, it's worthless to serve Elohim. And what did we gain when we guarded his charge and we walked as mourners before Yahweh of hosts? 
Excuse me. And now we are calling the proud blessed. Not only are the doers of wrongness built up, but they also try Elohim and escape. Does that sound familiar to, about our country today? Then shall those who fear Yahovah speak to one another, and Yahovah listen and hear, and a book of remembrance be written before him of those who fear Yahovah and those who think upon his name. And they shall be mine, said Yahovah of hosts, on the day that I prepare, what? A treasured possession. And I shall spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again see the difference between the righteous and the wrong, between the one who serves Elohim and the one who doesn't serve him. Folks, this verse is not about just churches and people giving money to the church for crying out loud. It's talking about turning from our ways and serving God rightly. And not saying, well, what are we getting out of this for serving God? What did we get out of it? You see, the, we talked about this when they came out of Egypt. Getting out of Egypt was easy. Getting Egypt out of them was hard. Because what? All they wanted was the blessing. They didn't really want God. They didn't really want to love God. They wanted, the, they wanted their land. They wanted their farms. They wanted their ranch, for crying out loud. And they didn't want a ranch at. They wanted a full-blown orchard ranch. They wanted cows on a thousand hills. Isn't that what you promised? Give us what you promised, God. That's what they wanted. It was all about the stuff. And God, through this whole thing, is saying... You're robbing me and cursing me when you say it doesn't pay to follow me. Just follow me. And if you'll serve me right, then I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to treat you as my treasured possession. Isn't that what we all want? If you turn the page, it's the last page. This is the Haftor reading out of the writings and the prophets. This is the, called the sixth one of consolation. And it's tied to this theme you find in this writing in this section. In Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 5, look at what it says. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the esteem or glory of Yahovah has risen upon you. We got songs about that, amen. For look, darkness covers the earth and a thick darkness the peoples, but Yahovah arises over you and his esteem is seen upon you. Oh my goodness. And the Gentiles shall come to your light and sovereigns, or kings, if you will, to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. All of them have gathered. They have come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are supported on the side. Then you shall see and be bright, and your heart shall throb and swell. For the wealth of the sea is turned to you, the riches of the Gentiles come to you. This is a section here that's read this time of the year, and it's tied to this Torah portion about light, the light of Israel, the light of Jerusalem, the light of God, and God's light, if you will, the Shekinah glory of God getting on us and getting on His people the same way it got all over Moses and scared everybody half to death, and they said, please put a veil over that. You're spooky looking. You're scaring us. Every time you get in the presence of God, you come out you're scaring us. It's the same thing that happened when Yeshua 
was transfigured or His glory was finally seen. He wasn't changed. What was hidden was removed or was seen. Amen? Then you get into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, and it says, Blessed be the Elohim and Father of our Master Yeshua Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Messiah, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be set apart, there it is, and blame us before Him in love, having previously ordained us to adoption as sons through Yeshua Messiah to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His desire, to the praise of the esteem. When it says esteem, it's talking about His glory, just so that you totally understand that. To the praise of His esteem, of His favor, with which He favored us in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of His favor, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, having made known to us the secret of His desire, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Him, to administer at the completion of time, to gather together in one all in Messiah, both which are in the heavens and which are on the earth in Him. Do you, are you starting to see that when you have this other mindset and can see these other things going on in the Old Testament, that you can read this passage right here and maybe now it has more meaning and makes more sense when he's talking about, he's talking about this greater exodus and what's about to happen. And he's also saying that in Yeshua Messiah, all of these blessings and everything are already being poured out on us. And he did this according to his foreknowledge and predestination. What does that mean? He decided before the foundation of the world because he knows everything. He's outside of time and space. I'm going to create everything. Lucifer over here is going to act like an idiot. Then he's going to have this thing that he's going to do. How do I know all that? I've already been there. And he's going to do all this stuff, but guess what? I've got a plan. And then he's going to try to wipe them out to stop me from having my plan. Well, I still got a plan because I know what his plan is. I not only know what it is, I've already been there. And that's why when they're planning all these things, I sit in heaven and laugh. So I have preordained everything to happen this way, and I've even decided I want that one, 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 that one. I want these people. I'm going to bring all these in to be mine, and I'm going to glorify myself through them. And all of them that aren't part of mine, I'm still going to use all of that to prove to everybody and everything, even the physical dimension, I am who I say I am, and I will be what I want to be when I want to be it. And when I say it, I mean it, and I will do it. And there is nothing, nobody, no power, no wannabe God, no government, no conspiracy can stop me from doing what I want to do and what I said I was going to do to the very letter. And we're living it. If you believe in Yeshua, you're part of that. That's your destiny. When that war breaks out, so what? He said it would happen. We should just be going, well, all righty then. I guess it's pretty close. We're going to bug out. And the Holy Spirit's going to tell us what to do and where to go. And He's going to gather us together. And any rebels among us, 
He already told us He would purge them from among us the same way He did the first time. So I'm going to tell you again, when it happens, no belly aching. It's for your, your, it's for our own good. No belly aching. Uh, we're going to serve God, and if He gives us manna to eat, we're going to eat manna. You ever get tired of cooking? You know, Sonia goes off to work. I get to study from home, and you know, now I'm you know the Mister Mom and cook, and and I now have those three hated words. You know, what's for dinner? You know, every day. You know, what's for dinner? You know, and, and a lot of the times I, I am cooking. And and I told Sonia the other day because she said, what's for dinner, and I said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we got the same stuff in the freezer we eat all the time. We got fish, we got chicken, we got some steaks out in the freezer, we got hamburger meat. Y'all, can y'all relate? We got the frozen stuff we can eat, we got the fresh stuff we can eat. What's, how do you want me to mix it different this time? And I was joking and I said, I'm getting kind of tired of eating this manna, Sonia. <laughs> and we both laughed and I said, Isn't that weird? I mean, we could do whatever, we go out to eat, we could eat. Healthy stuff, or we can eat pizza, you know. We can eat whatever we want, you know. And I said, what if we're out there for three and a half years eating manna, or all we have is rice and beans for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and any fish I can catch, or quail I can hit with a racket ball or something, you know. I, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because we'll be out there, you know, struggling. And here, we're going to need to just be glad God feeds us and takes care of us. Amen? Um, but that's what our heritage is, and we're going home to that. Let's look one more time here in Revelation 21, and we'll close with this tonight. It says, and one of the seven angels, and we just went through this, but one of the seven messengers who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues, came to me and spoke to me, saying, Come, I shall show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the set-apart Jerusalem, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from Elohim, having the esteem of Elohim and her light. This is why this is in here, because this Haftorah is revolving around the light of God and the light of God shining on us and in us and the light of God shining on the new Jerusalem in Israel and all the nations seeing her light and, be, and being able to praise Yahovah for what he's done. That's kind of a rough uh, summary of what's going on. So here it is in here. Um, and her uh, having a great mind and descending out of heaven, uh, from Elohim, verse 11, having the esteem of Elohim, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and having a great and high wall, having 12 gates, and at the gates the 12 messengers, 12 angels, and names written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Um, I've said this before, and I said it when we went through the book of Revelation. There's not 13 gates. There's 12 gates. The 12 gates have names over each gate. It's the only way to get in Jerusalem. And there are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's not the 12 tribes of Israel and then this other thing called the church. You're either grafted in 
to God's family and grafted into Israel, like Paul said in Romans 11, or you're not. That's why this whole, could you say oxymoronic statement of being a Gentile believer. Did you know you cannot be a Gentile believer? It's not possible. To be Gentile is goy or goyim, which is plural for of the nations. So you're either part of the nations of the world or you're part of God's family. Those are the only two options. And if you're part of God's family, you're part of the family that's going to prove that God is God. It's that simple. And we're going to prove that God is God to everybody that is not part of God's family. Which means we've crossed over from our sinful state into a saved state, which is what the word Hebrew means. This is why Paul said we've been grafted into Israel. And in the other passage, he says all the promises and everything that's been given to the prophets and to Abraham and to the covenants are given to us as well. We're now partakers of the same thing. What he said, in the, I think it's in Ephesians or Galatians. At one time you were alienated. You were separated from the grace and, and the prophecies and the promises and the covenants of God. But now you've been brought near as adopted sons, grafted in. This is why all through the Scripture he says, listen, I care about the widow I care about the orphan. I care about the fatherless. I care about the needy. I care about the sojourner. And any of those that want to attach themselves to you and follow me, they can. Hallelujah. Isn't that cool? And that's where we're headed. Folks, as I was studying this, I was going, you know, once again... When you understand the Old Testament, the New Testament then makes sense. If you don't understand the Old Testament, then you look at things like Ananias and Sapphira and go, well, you know what? You shouldn't have lied because if you lie in the church, God will just kill you. And God will kill you so He can prove that He's God. How dumb, shallow. But when you don't understand it, well, then you're dumb and shallow. Right? But when you understand that you're making a covenantal comment about your side of the covenant and declaring who He is, and when He cares about those, and you're saying, I didn't touch that which is holy, and I didn't eat it, when you did, game over. Doesn't mean you burn in hell. We clear on that? What it does mean, you die early. What happens if you die early? Well, whatever you're doing here that's going to affect you in heaven just got cut off short. Which means whatever place you were going to get, whatever jewels, whatever crown, whatever placement in the kingdom just got set in stone. No more room for advancement, in other words. That's why every day God gives me and you a chance to repent and follow Him, keep His Sabbaths, do what He said, tell other people about Him. It glorifies Him and it secures some position or whatever for you and I. If you get in, you'll be glad. But why shoot at the bottom? That makes no sense. Why not glorify our King? So it doesn't mean if you do something wrong and you die, well... Well, God really got him. 
You know, I don't even know if he's really saved. He might burn in hell for all I know. How many of us have ever heard stuff like that? Right? I mean, we've heard that, right? <sighs> if you claim Yeshua as your Savior, Yahovah as your King, that's what the Scripture says. When we call upon His name, you're saved. And He's going to write it down in a book of remembrance. And write our names down in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Amen? That's what this is all about. Here's the deal. God loves you. And He wants you and I to take care of the widow and the orphan and those that are in need. And folks, I'm going to close with this. This is why I would love for us to find some way for this little group to pay off our mortgage. I've never liked it. I said from the very beginning, it's the only way we can get on this property and have a place to meet. But it'd be so cool if we could just do something and raise the money and pay that dumb thing off. And instead of paying a mortgage, take all that money and put it towards mission work. Put it towards getting people out of addiction and killing babies and everything else. Man, it's just a blasphemous thing on our country. It's, it's an abomination what's going on. We're murdering and sacrificing babies, for crying out loud. Selling baby parts. I know we got kids in here, but that's the brutal, honest thing what's going on in our country. If we were doing that with dogs and cats, people would be in jail. That's a fact. If we had a slaughter machine out there killing dogs and cats and selling parts, people would go to jail. PETA would be through the roof. But when it's a baby, it's no big deal. It's profitable. And it's a sacrifice to the demons. That's a fact. Um, how about us, instead of paying money on a mortgage, we try to do everything we can to stop some of this garbage and make sure that we're telling everybody, look, I know what you've been hearing, and trust me, most don't want to hear it, but what you've been hearing isn't really right, but you need to be getting ready because this pre-trib rapture thing, that's a theory, and I think it's pretty thin, and I'm not banking on it. Because if it don't happen, a lot of people have been caught off guard and not ready. I want to be ready, amen? I just want to be ready. So the only way to be ready is to practice. Sukkot. <laughs> Let's all go to Sukkot and practice and learn how to get along. Even though we might stink and our dogs might bark. <laughs> Seriously, go practice. Because if it happens, we're going to have about three, three and a half years of the real thing. Uh, might want to practice.